This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Reducing emissions and greenhouse gases has become one of the biggest goals in combating climate change. Government and large companies quantify their green contributions by cap-and-trade agreements and carbon offsetting. But how can you gauge what you do on a personal level. Disability rights activist Anne Camozzi wants to explore this idea, and so do I. Good morning, Anne. Great to chat with you once again. <laughs> yeah, nice to be here, Dave. It's perfect uh, introduction to this topic, listening to Chris talk about the problems with recycling, and I think there's a lot more we can do. Yeah, I'm 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 in the same boat. That there's no such thing as a silver bullet, or in this case, I suppose a green bullet to any uh, any kind of problem in the world. But before you can necessarily address a problem, you have to identify where you're at. So, what tools are available for an individual to actually measure their carbon footprint? Well, there's a lot of carbon calculators online. And um, the only concern I have about those, there's, there's many and they're all different and they're all very good. They all measure the same things, but I'm not sure how good some of those are for screen readers. If you can't read the carbon calculators, just simply Google, what can I personally do? Mm. And you'll see, you'll see a list of actions and you'll see a list of areas. All the carbon calculators look at the same areas and they give you your carbon footprint. I took mine, I was really surprised because I don't drive a car, I don't own a house, I don't fly in airplanes, and yet my carbon footprint was still bigger. Like we in North America, we use, we emit twice as much carbon dioxide as Europeans, five times as much as Asians, and 13 times more than people in Africa. Mm. And although it's, although it's cold and it's hot, and we need to use more probably power for those things, not 13 times more. Yeah. So I think. Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was, I was, I was no, just, I was just no. affirming. I was affirming. I was, I was on board with Ye you. Yeah. No. No. I wasn't really. I was kind of finished that thought. It's just that the ca carbon calculators really tell you, and and they actually will point out things in asking the questions. What are the areas that you can do better at? And and that was really helpful for me when I took it. As someone looks internally, what are some of the key lifestyle areas that really need to be analyzed if you're going to authentically lower your carbon footprint? Well, transportation is key. You know, how do you get around? Um, those of us with disabilities, we sometimes don't have choices in those areas, and that may be an area where some of us have lower footprints because we do tend to use transit, like I only use transit to get around. But how, you, what, how much you fly, for example, then food, like what do you eat? Mm. What kinds of food do you eat? Uh, for example, when I was growing up, there were no kiwis. <laughs> you know, they came from far away and that, that was just not part of it. But now we go into superstore and there's things from New Zealand, from all over the world. I personally try and shop locally. 
you know, we'll talk about the steps later, but food is really important. Um, clothing. How much clothing do you own? Do you upcycle? Do you buy used clothing? You know, do you buy clothing and throw it away? We all probably have too much clothing. Um, heating, cooling, and lighting. Um, yeah, there's the clothing. Like, you know, the, the dumps are full of clothing. And mm. we, all, we all really have to look at that part of our lives. Um, how we heat our homes, how we um, cool our homes, how we light our homes. Like LED is a lot better than the previous kinds of hiding so it's it's like what we purchase how we purchase it and how we move around and how we live our lives much more than just recycling recycling is important but it's often difficult for people with disabilities and as pointed out by chris and you at your previous conversation uh, it there's a hodgepodge of regulation and not all of it gets to the landfill it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it but it's a, just a small thing that we can do I read between the lines there, Anne, that there's some habits around disposability of, of the choices that we make, right? That, for example, you talked about clothing, certainly trying to buy clothing that is sustainably made, but also durable, and also not necessarily having 15 or 20 t-shirts, but having eight or 10 t-shirts. And, and I'm sure if anybody went into their closet right now, they would say, oh my gosh, they're the there's 14 dress shirts in here and I might wear a dress shirt uh, twice or three times a month. So it's, so it's about sort of fighting that, that impulse, that buying impulse to sort of buy extra when not necessary. Or if I go into my hoodie closet, there's 14 hoodies, but I wear the same hoodie every day. Exactly. And, and the thing is, you know, again, when I was growing up, I'm dating myself, every piece of clothing that I bought, even when I even when my kids were young in the 80s was made in Canada. But that's not the case anymore. And so um, buying durable clothing, if you are going to buy new clothing is key. But I want to talk to you, Dave, about your coffee pods. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Last time you mentioned you were aware of the fact that this probably wasn't the most sustainable choice, but it was hard to change because of the convenience mm -hmm. of it. But, all, mm -hmm. but, but, also, but also how easy it probably was for you to use because most coffee machines have a touch tab, inter, a touch interface that you can't possibly read. So... Um, one of the things we have to look at is take taking your coffee pods, for an example. A am I right that that's why you keep using it, because of the interface of using it and the convenience? You, you hit it almost right perfectly across the board. I typically am using compostable coffee pods because, number one, I, I live alone. So the idea of making yep. a single cup of coffee almost seems less wasteful to my mind just as, as a generalized concept. Number two, it's very convenient. I love the idea of convenience. Number three, yep. from an accessibility point of view, there's basically one button on my machine that I need to know how to use. So I put the pot in, I click it down, I press the one button, and bada bing, bada boom, I've got coffee 30 seconds later. Yeah, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this as an example is it's a perfect example of how people with disabilities sometimes have to use things that aren't as environmentally friendly as other choices because things are not accessible to us or we have special needs. For example, plastic straws were a big issue. Mm -hmm. For this, all, all the same reasons, they, plas there wasn't really a good 
sustainable alternative. And yet people who weren't disabled were saying things like, oh, come on, just use a bamboo straw or whatever. But it's not that simple. So I think what the coffee pod thing points out to us, changing our behavior, acting more for the environment requires us to examine why we're doing something. And so, you know, okay, can you find a different coffee pot that's easier to use that might be good for single-use coffee and for a person who lives alone? So that's the first thing, is to research whether or not there might be something better and then try it out. You know, I would... I frequently bought something and said, I want to try it out and I want to be able to bring it back if it doesn't work. And most mm. places like, you know, we'll let you do that, but especially with an appliance. It's interesting in, in Asia, they were training low vision uh, people to become baristas. And the, only, and, the, and the simple thing they did was per, put an interface, a special touch interface over the coffee machine. And soon these uh, low vision baristas could make every kind of coffee they wanted. So that's an example of how, you know, people with disabilities have, have to think things through. Mm. And it, give, it, it kind of gives you an opportunity, Dave, to do something that is good for the environment, which is optimistic and makes us feel good, is to write the coffee maker and say, these are the reasons why I can't use your coffee maker. And mm. I, I, want, I want to make better choices for the environment, but you're not making a coffee maker that I can use. So we can use our voices as people with disabilities to advocate for better choices for ourselves. And if you feel after you've done all the analysis that the coffee pods are still the best choice, and get rid of some of your hoodies and don't buy as many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get rid of any, but at this point, I just don't need to buy any more. I, I, I've, well, I've got a good supply. There you go. So it's like challenge yourself in another area of environmental behavior and say, well, yeah, I, I feel that the coffee pods are just a choice I have to keep. Well, I'm not going to buy any more kiwis. Whatever. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't like kiwis. Okay. That's good. That's perfect. Okay. That's, a win. that's a win right there for me, Anne. If I don't have to eat kiwis, that's good. Uh, and and you, mentioned, you mentioned before you had maybe a little bit of a methodology, a, a sort of some steps to follow here. I'm not sure if that kind of cannibalizes your last answer, but, but no. dive, a little, dive a little deeper into that. Well, there's something uh, called adoption and diffusion of new of new behaviors and ideas. And I studied this when I was doing my master's degree because I was interested in environmental behavior and how adults change. I have a master's in adult education. And so the theory says that we go through five steps. So we first become aware of the new idea. Okay, aware of the new idea, try out a different coffee machine or write the, you know, manufacturer. Well, then we sort of become interested in trying it out. We might call some friends and say, hey, how did that work for you? Then we evaluate whether or not it's possible. And then we try it. And if and then we evaluate it. And and we if you tell yourself that you're going through that process, and that's what people go through when they're when they're actually trying something new, whether you know it or not, you're subconsciously going through those steps. And if the first time you try it, it doesn't work, a lot of us will give it up. But you have to, I think with environmental behavior, you have to force yourself a little bit to say, I'm really going to try this idea out. And, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to reach out to somebody and find out if there's a different way to do it. It's not that complex, but it's, it is the way our brain works. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one, interesting. 
One last question here before I end up uh, asking you the daily poll, because I do want to get your thoughts on the daily poll yeah, question okay. as well. It's circling back to where the conversation started, resources and understanding. What do you recommend in regards to people learning more and gleaning some ideas about making greener choices? Yeah, well, I think I gave the production team some websites. I mean, the Gr Greenpeace has a good website. David Suzuki has a good website. The UN has a good website. You can go online and say, how do I make better green choices? Mm. How do I become, how do I live more sustainably? And you'll come up with a list of ideas. I could list them all here, but that would take too much time. <laughs> just, just think about those areas, transportation, food, clothing, heating and lighting and cooling, and just generally how we live recycling and waste. I, I put that one on the lowest of the totem pole. I think it's more about our choices when we buy things and how we live in our environment. Mm. And this is fantastic. I like walking away a little bit optimistically about a topic that can Good. sometimes be a little bit depressing. But before yeah. I say goodbye to you, I do want to ask you the daily poll because this came out of this topic. So it's at Accessible right. Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Do you find all the different local recycling policies to be confusing? It, it's a yes or no question, but obviously there's room for nuance here in between. Well, absolutely yes. I live in Nova Scotia, and I happen to receive a different environment today. I'm not at home. I'm in Halifax, and it has different rules than where I live in Antigonish. That's ridiculous. Not only is it different, it's very confusing for people, and it's very difficult for a lot of us to do that separation. So policy has to change, education has to change, and we have to be in the driver's seat to tell ourselves that we want to make those choices, and we want to push people to give us clear ideas on how to do that. Mm. Walking in lockstep. I like that one. And yeah. thank you for this. Uh, best of luck with your day in Halifax. Hope it's a productive one. Talk to you in a thank couple you. weeks. Thanks a lot, Dave. It's always a pleasure to be here. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing about your coffee pot. <laughs> I'll report back to you. That's Ann Kamosian, okay. <laughs> a disability rights activist and artist in Nova Scotia. You can follow Ann's work at annkamosi.com. A-N-N-E-C-A-M. O-Z-Z-I.com, nkamozi.com. See how I said Z and not Z? I once got in trouble when I was working at CBC Radio for saying Z instead of Z. And somebody got into my office later that day. Dave, at the National Broadcaster, we say Z and not Z. Coming up in 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller will tell you all about snow in the Montreal area. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index eked out a tiny gain yesterday after an unsurprisingly flat showing in GDP for August. U.S. markets rose ahead of the American Central Bank's latest decision coming today on interest rates. Toronto's TSX index added 16 points to close at 18,873. New York's Dow Jones average gained 123 points and the Nasdaq rose 61. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index surged 742 points or 2.4%. 
percent after the Bank of Japan held back from any major changes to its near zero interest rate policy. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 72.01 cents U.S. And a B.C. helicopter airline company has announced the purchase of Canada's first electric vertical takeoff aircraft. Helijet International says the aircraft built by Vermont-based Beta Technologies will allow quicker, quieter and more efficient landings and takeoffs from hospitals and other emergency zones. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Let's turn to Elizabeth Moeller for the weather reports. Elizabeth, there's a bit of a weather oddity occurring in my old hometown of Montreal, Quebec. This one did catch my attention, Dave. I thought of you. You know, typically in the fall, we psych ourselves up for temperatures that are for, you know, cooling down in the first frost of the year well before snow. But this year, yes, a rare event led to the exact opposite. At first in over 77 years, Montreal recorded their first measurable snowfall before dipping below that freezing mark. And this is something that's happened only one other time in history, believe it or not. So to have a first snowfall, it is necessary to have a system to bring in moisture and cold temperatures. Snowflakes require below freezing temperatures in the atmosphere in order to develop, but they can accumulate on the ground that is above zero degrees Celsius. And this above freezing layer must be very shallow and close to the ground so that the snowflakes do not have time to melt fully. Instead, the, wet, the result is wet, and heavy and thick snow, which none of us love. And on October 30th, Montreal measured two centimeters of snow while staying no colder than zero degrees. But the next day, they did have some frost after that initial snowfall. Elizabeth, thank you for this. I know uh, plenty of people in Montreal were a little bit bummed out about that snow, but uh, tis the season, that's how it goes. Speaking <laughs> of tis the season, the gift-giving season is around the corner. Don't worry, community reporter Derek Lackey, he'll tell you about the Signatures Handmade Market in Winnipeg. So there you go. You can uh, buy some handmade stuff instead of that, you know, mass-produced nonsense at some of the big retailers. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.